Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Moving Spotlight Podcast. This is your chance to learn how to take control of your creative career. We discuss the tactics and mindset it takes to elevate your skills and craft in any field. My name is John Ruby. This is my main man, Corbin Coyle. Coyle. Hey, everyone. Oh, look at that. We said it together. (laughs) I like it. I like it. We're trying to say it at the same time, but we're we're not working on it. Just want to let everyone know we got a brand new Patreon page. You can search for The Moving Spotlight. You can support us, help us create more great content. Just go to Patreon and search The Moving Spotlight. Uh, Sign up. Today, we are very excited to have the one and only April Wright. April is an award-winning director, producer, and writer. April, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to be here and talk to you guys. So excited <laughs> well, we to have are, you. <laughs> we are very excited to have you. Uh, April is a fellow Northwestern graduate like Ooh, myself, Corbin. Fancy. So I'm very excited. Yes. Um, but April has been working in entertainment, uh, like I mentioned, writer, director, producer, especially in documentaries, which is where I kind of want to jump into with you, uh, April. How did you first get started in documentaries? I, I started on everything at once, honestly. I okay. I actually went to the Kellogg School at Northwestern, so I have an MBA in um, and but I was always a movie movie person. I had a movie family. We we went to movies growing up. I went to drive-ins, which is part of why I made a documentary on that topic. Um, but I but I loved movies and I loved indie movies. I mean, I would go see every single movie that was out. Uh, there would be times when like my friends and I would look at the listings of what was showing at the theaters and we'd be like, okay, we've seen every single movie, every single indie to every single big blockbuster. (laughs) Which one do you want to go see twice? So I really did pay attention to that and track people's careers. So I knew I would get into this and I switched into this industry around 2004. So it's been like 17 years, hard to believe. Um, but I, um, I won a screenwriting competition then in, um, in 2004 for script magazine. And, um, and then I actually started making everything at the same time. I, I, uh, I started volunteering for the independent spirit awards around that time. And then that got me into screening films for film festivals. So I started, uh, watching films for Sundance film festival in 2005 for the 2006 festival. And I've programmed um, narrative films there for 16 years. I also um, worked on my first feature film that that I wrote that somebody else directed and we shot that in 2005. And then I also um, started doing research for my first documentary about drive-in movie theaters. And I went on the road to shoot that in 2006 and 2007. So I started doing everything at once, film festival programming and um, making feature films and also um, documentaries. And it's you, kind of been the same ever since. <laughs> you just you just jumped in the deep end, didn't you, April? You're like, I'm not putting my toe in. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna make a film. Yeah, and, and <laughs> even when I made my yeah. first film, um, yeah. even though I started researching the documentary first, um, I, I didn't finish that until 2013, it came out, <laughs> it was a long process, uh, but my first narrative feature film, my first narrative film, I shot in Montana in 2007, and I didn't make any short films first, I made a feature first, <laughs> so my first thing I directed 
was a feature film called Layover. And then that came out in like 2009. So yeah, you're right. I did kind of dive in and just started making things. And yeah. What was the big, <laughs> what was the biggest thing you learned immediately doing a feature film? I mean, there's probably so many, such a big learning curve. Like I'm impressed. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, yes to no. I mean, I always paid attention to films. I had friends that worked in films, so I had visited sets a mm. lot and I took classes at UCLA writing classes and cinematography classes. And um, my first film that got made, it was actually a horror film um, that ended up being called, it was called Dead in the Water when we were shooting it. We had to retitle it Killer Yacht Party and it got released <laughs> by Troma. Well, I had to embrace what it became. It, it, when it was shot, it was more campy than it was when I wrote it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was like, this fits at Troma. So I got involved and help, helped us sell it to, to Troma who released the film. And um, yeah, so I was on set through that whole I mean I was involved through that whole process I worked really closely with the director and um and did the casting and I was in charge of the props and I was wow. you know and once I did that whole experience I was like okay I'm, I'm, I knew I wanted to direct eventually but I'm ready to direct now and that's when I wrote something that I could direct that was contained at an airport and I and I made that um April so I, I was just thinking when you said real quick when you said that one of the things I was thinking about is with Corbin which is a great great question it, it, and I'm curious about your opinion, April, which is like, it's not if there's going to be problems on set, it's when and how many. And because, I mean, you're like constantly putting out fires. And I think that's part of like continuing to keep the momentum and the ball rolling forward as you're like problem solving. I think that's part of- well, that, that might be where my business background comes into play yeah. because it's kind of the same thing. I mean, when, when I was in business, I was a consultant um, and- everything was project-based and films are project-based because you're doing the same thing. You're, you're hiring the right people and you're managing a budget and you have a work plan and you have deadlines. So it's very similar. And even just when I was in business, I, I was technology focused always and films are technology, you know, editing is software and cameras are technology. And so really understanding the, the workflow and the processes, all those things, um, even though I didn't come out of a film background, I knew film and then I knew business and I knew, you know, I wasn't afraid of technology, technology things. And so for me, it's all kind of the same and it all converges and, and it's problem solving, like you said, and, and also just working with different personalities, being able to understand what people need yeah. and, um, how to relate to them and how to get their best out of them when you're the leader of, of the project. Um, so so yeah, there's a lot of skills that come into play that people probably don't really think about are, that are important for this industry. One of the things I, I, I told Corbin before you got here today, April, is you are one of the people that when you say you're going to do something, you do it. Like, mm -hmm. I really, I really believe that. Like I've, 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 you know, I've now I've known you for a while, which is really kind of in interesting uh, just to think back on that. But like, if you say you're going to make a short film or you're going to read someone's script and give notes or whatever that is, you, you all, like for me, every time I've seen that you step up to the plate, which is so cool. Where, where does that kind of stepping up and like honoring your commitments, where does that like <laughs> come from? Like that's so unusual, <laughs> but, it, but it's true. I guess it is kind of unusual, maybe, especially in this business. Um, I don't know, probably just being Midwestern, a Midwestern person and mm. growing up in Illinois, but also um, my family had a business when I was growing up, a roller rink. And, oh. uh, and my grandfather 
built the roller rink for himself. And so we just grew up in this um, uh, with a work ethic around the rink. That was my first job. And also he just had so much integrity in how he treated people. Everybody was welcome there. Um, and he just, you know, respected people, treated everybody with dignity. You know, you were dealing with employees, you were dealing with the public. And I just grew up around that, um, that, that you do have to have honor in, in your word and your deed and how you do things. And, um, yeah, I, I can't not be that way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So circling back, you, so you finished the feature and then you jumped on, you're doing the documentary as it was going on. And how did the documentary topic kind of come to you, you know? Well, um, I, I, I went to movie theaters and drive-ins growing up. And at some point I realized there were less and less of them. And mm. even before I moved to LA, when I was still in Chicago and, and going to Northwestern and, and um, I would kind of drive out of my way in certain suburbs of Chicago to visit drive-ins that were closed down, that were just, you know, abandoned, not developed yet. And there, there were a lot of those for a while. And when I first moved in to LA, there, there was also, um, we still had the Sentinella drive-in and the studio drive-in in Culver City, and they were just sitting abandoned. And I would go visit these drive-ins and wonder what might they have looked like in their heyday? Who would build these mm -hmm. things? And they, the screen towers were so elaborate and the marquees were so elaborate and they had gotten into such disrepair. And I couldn't understand how anybody had allowed that to happen because we still love cars, we still love movies. So what happened to the drive-ins? And when I first had the idea, there were about a thousand left. And then once I started making films, I checked and there were only 500 left. So I was like, I better get on this topic before they're all gone. And that's what happened. I just kind of dove in and then I wanted to be as thorough as possible. And so I set out to visit every single state. And so I drove the country um, during the summers of, I think it was 2006 and 2007, I took long road trips through the Southern path and then uh, the next summer through the Northern path. And then I had a film festival for, for layover for the one I shot in uh, Montana, my narrative film um, in Hawaii. So I also went to Hawaii oh and gosh. I went to all those states and, um, and visited drive-ins, open drive-ins, abandoned drive-ins, former sites to see what's there today. So I ended up visiting over 500 drive-in locations wow. in every single state except Alaska. And as a side effect, I got to visit all these states and not airport cities, like really, really driving our country, little town to little town to little town. So um, because I just wanted to tell a, a thorough story. Um, my other documentaries, I have not done that. Um, I, <laughs> I, once I get on the road, I was like, okay, I, I know why nobody's, you know, why someone's never made this movie, <laughs> yeah. because it was kind of crazy and, and a little expensive to, to do it that way, to, to be on the road for, you know, months at a time shooting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was, there were so many good side effects of that ex experience that I'm glad I did it that way. But I yeah. just, I actually just went on the road this summer again, um, this past summer to do a, a follow-up drive-in documentary because I wanted to show they're, they're all family-based and I wanted to show how much these families struggle to keep them going, especially mm -hmm. now after COVID, even though they had some attention yep. um, on them during COVID and they were kind of the only place to go for a while. Um, there's just so many challenges that they're having and I wanted to show that. So I did drive the country again this summer. Yeah. <laughs> I drove all the way out to Texas and up North to Nebraska and then all the way out East to Cape Cod 
and all the way back. Um, so oh I shot another drive-in documentary this summer. And, and while I was hitting all these little towns, I also shot B-roll for my follow-up. Um, my, my two documentaries you can see behind me, I kind of brand them going attractions. Um, attractions that there used to be a lot and now there's not as many. <laughs> yes, and, I think it's, then, yeah. And yeah. the next few in the series are is going to be about roller rinks, like my family's business. Uh, bowling alleys and uh, family-owned amusement parks, which there used to be so many of them before everything became Disney or Six yes. Flags. Oh and my gosh, so, April! I'm 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 like lighting up so on so many different levels. For all these while oh I was on the road, I went to like 21 states, and I, I ended up shooting like 68 roller rinks and 61 bowling alley. You know, so yeah, I shot I shot all that this summer, a full yeah. drive-in documentary, which I'm editing right now, and um, and uh, all the B-roll for that. So that's, that's so I cool. mean that's documentary you asked about documentaries but it's something i can control and i can make for a lower budget yeah. so while i'm trying to get other projects going that are television or features narrative features you know i i can always keep making documentaries i, I i'm so curious how you um where, where did you learn to listen to that inner voice of like what what is an interesting topic to you because it seems like these are all such fascinating stories that's that nobody's the only talking thing about i go on yeah yeah <laughs> that's the only thing i go on because you know why because when you make any film project, it's, it's, you know, unless it's just a short film you throw together over a weekend or whatever, but most of the things that I make, because like I said, I started making features. So when you're making a feature, no matter what it is, um, and I know you guys know this, um, whether it's a narrative one or a documentary, you live with it for a very long time. You have all the, all the preparation, all the fundraising, all the, you know, the shooting is probably the, the tiniest part of it. Yeah, yeah. Time-wise, yeah. Time People wise, think yeah. shooting is the thing and that and that's such a small piece. And then you have all the post-production and all the editing, and then you have to get it out into the world. And so you might have film festivals and all the marketing and all the screenings, and then it just keeps going. You know, the um, this drive-in documentary that was the first thing I made, um, you know, like I said, I started researching that 2005. It was finally done and started and came out and it had a theatrical release in 2013. Well, now it's eight years old and I'm still doing interviews for it. And I'm still doing press. I, I had an interview with a, a, a Japanese girl who was doing a, an article on drive-ins like three days ago. Like I'm still getting contacted constantly and people are still watching that film and talking about that film. And I never would have guessed that, you know, that an eight-year-old film would still have so much, but you know, I, I get a bump every summer because of drive-in season. Mm -hmm. And then this year, you know, with the COVID stuff, drive-ins got a big bump. So people, you know, I, I did interviews for, I can't even remember last year, like Time Magazine and, you know, like a lot of big, big, big publications were contacting me to, to talk about drive-ins last year. So, well, yeah, I mean, I it's think it's weird. So, so yeah, you follow your heart. You have to, because you, what, no matter what you're making, it has to be something that you're personally attached to in some way. Um, and, and same thing when people bring me projects, if, if it's not something that I don't feel like I have a personal connection to, I'll be like, that's not for me. But a lot of times people bring me things and I'm like, this is exactly me, which mm -hmm. means I've kind of done it right that mm -hmm. people see what I might be into. Yeah, um, that's exciting. And more often than not, people bring me things that I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I like this. <laughs> so. I love that. Well, I was just going to uh, uh, pitch you yeah, April's movie. It's called Going Attractions, the definitive story of the American Drive-In uh, movie, which which I saw at a screening uh, a, a long time ago, uh, mm -hmm. but it's so good. It, April did a great job. And I think, April, it's interesting, this idea of like, like 
nostalgia that we still care about in a sense, mm -hmm. you know, and as soon as you mentioned roller rinks, like, you know, I'm from um, Heartland, Wisconsin and, and, and Pewaukee, Wisconsin, shout out to those two little tiny towns, but we had a roller rink there growing up that we would, I'm sure a lot of people did, but like for in that town, like that was where you had the birthday parties, all these things. And it's gone now, you know what I mean? And, um, uh, and there is like a, there's a, there's a connection people have to that, yeah. um, you know, and, and that's part of, I think what you're, what you're tapping into. So it's interesting that it keeps coming back and also more relevant with what's going on now where people are like, I want to be outdoors. Roller skating is back. Yeah. The, mm -hmm. who, yeah, totally. Right. It's mm -hmm. coming, it's, you, you, you know, so you, you found some great, and it, it's interesting that it means something to you, April, and then you find that it means something to other people. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's a really cool thing to kind of when people really versus, oh, I'm going to try to do what I think people want to see. It's like, well, no, April, to continue that passion you have towards a project, you know, um, I am. Yeah. It, how do you how do you continue like when there's ups and downs on a project april how do you how do you recharge or how do you mm -hmm. keep going when you're halfway through that road trip and you're like you know what i'm in uh, a state that's very flat very boring i'm not going to shout out anyone and you're like you know but what what do you what do you like to do or how do you you know stay in well i yeah. i think that is a huge part of this career in this profession is that there's always obstacles and there's always down times and there's always things that could stop that project from moving forward and sometimes they do and i would say even in particular in documentary that a lot of documentaries you know seven years is not atypical to make a whole documentary um, and some of that is just funding, um, things get stalled. And a lot of times it's just yourself or you're getting, you know, favors from other people that are doing it on the side. And you're, so you're trying to get their time. I, I had to learn how to edit, um, myself, my second, um, documentary, the, after the drive-in one, I did a follow-up on, uh, about movie palaces and the theatrical experience. And that one I edited myself along with my producing partner, Rachel Pan, who, um, could also edit and do after effects. So she and I, you know, I did the first pass and she kind of cleaned up what I did. Um, so yeah, I had to learn how to, how to edit it out of necessity. So now I edit my docs and, um, but yeah, there's just tons of downtime, tons of projects, you know, and I, I've gone through this with so many scripts, narrative projects, they kind of get momentum for a little while and you think, oh, this one's going to happen. And then something falls apart or something changes and then something else gets the momentum. And, you know, it's just a constant process of that. And then, of course, there's just rejections along the way um, in things, places that are not a fit. And sometimes it's just timing. Sometimes mm. something dies and then, you know, like like we were talking about, something be happens again that resurrects a project. So, um, you know, if, if it's something that that you have your, you know, have your passion with and you care about, you just stick with it through all these ups and downs and maybe the time will come for that thing. But I think in particular, what drives me in documentaries is that I'm making a film, but it's for somebody, for the subjects of my film, it's their life and, it, and it's their livelihoods. And mm -hmm. so when you're making a documentary, you develop an oblig obligation to your subjects, which is much stronger than what you have with a narrative film. With a narrative film, you have your cast and your crew and your, your team and you, and you develop an obligation to them to finish it and to get it out into the world so that people can see their work. But, but I feel like that's even stronger with the documentary because people have trusted you to tell their story and you develop a huge obligation to tell their story and to tell it right. And so you have to push all the way through to the end um, for, for the people that you're making the film about.
Are there any um, like stories you really love from either uh, the movie Palace or the, the American Drive-In um, movie that you think of, of like either, I don't know, a family or a theater or, you know, one of the, I was wondering if there's anything that like, if you cherry picked like, I can't. For the same thing I was saying, you know, all yeah. of them, um, you yeah. know, the fact that they open their worlds to me and, uh, right. you know, the people that own these places and care about these places, you know, um, if you watch either film, you, you see a lot of drive-in owners and you see people who own movie palaces that are closed, that they're trying to raise the funds to restore them and bring them back. And I, I, I hope they all do. Um, I think they all will. It's just going to take time. But yeah, I mean, I, I've developed friendships and like I said, obligations to, to, to people where I'm on their team and, and, um, you know, and, and like I said, sometimes in the press, I've become their spokesperson, um, to, to help bring attention to what they're trying to do. So, so yeah, there's a whole thing that happens in documentary that that's even stronger than with a, a group of people making a narrative film, I think. Yeah. It, feel, it feels like you have like a like a strong producer background too it feels like this is all like producery like it's learning <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but it's good it's like that business sense that you're talking about i always say that i'm an accidental producer i i don't i didn't set out to be a producer i don't really want to be a producer right. there's people much better at that job than me and in right. fact i for most of my projects i try to partner with a producer who's you know bigger and better than me and that's usually a smart way to go. But um, I think inherently in, in all my projects and particularly in the docs, you can't help but produce to get something going. Um, so yeah, anybody who's in, in this business, especially nowadays, you know, even actors, because you have to make your own content and then you have to put things online. And, um, and there's so much um, marketing that, that has to happen throughout the entire process of whatever you're making and doing that um, everybody has to be a producer in, in some way. You just have to be nowadays. It's, I think it's really hard to get around that. Well, that's that's the name of this episode, April Wright, Accidental Producer. I think it's <laughs> yeah, so good. It it's yeah. so good. No, I didn't. And I, I, what I what I think, Corbin, great, great question. And, and April, I love the way you answered that because I know so many people that, um, myself included, and just other creators where, well, we edited the trailer ourselves. We had to learn mm -hmm. how to edit. We had to learn how to produce. We had to learn how to get location. We had to learn how to, you know, props. We had to learn how to wrangle interviews. We had to learn how to, you know, <laughs> rewrite script, whatever those things are. And I think you're like, well, maybe I just want to do this one thing. But if you get stuck on that, you can kind of hit roadblocks. And so to be able to do those other things, that's how you continue to, to, to move a project forward. Um, and so, and I, and I think you're right, April, it also is when you're wearing a lot of hats, trying to take off a couple hats. So it's like you can focus on one thing and have a producer dealing with the person mowing the lawn when you're trying to get an interview. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, you know, um, that can be challenging too when you're trying to. Oh yeah. You know. Well, and and um, yeah, and I and I think that's key because your producer is your primary partner usually. Um, so so like for my first film layover, um, my producer was a, a woman. Also, also a Northwestern graduate, also a Kellogg graduate named Connie Sue. And, um, and what she told me, she said, when we get on set, you just worry about what's in front of you. Mm. you. You worry about what's being shot, the actors, all that. She said, everything behind your back, I've got. Uh, and mm. that was just the best partnership and the best thing to know. And, um, 
and we had a very, you know, we had the challenges, of course, we had a ton, ton of challenges. We were shooting in Montana, we were shooting at an airport. Yeah. Um, we were working with local crew and, um, and we had a, you know, it was a small film, but um, just having that partnership was great. And even with my movie palace documentary, my um, most recent one, um, Rachel Pond, she's also, <laughs> this is, I didn't even think about this, but she's also a Northwestern grad. <laughs> um, it's, a it's a mafia, Corbin. It's right, a I'm, mafia. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm here. <laughs> you, went to, you went to Medill. Well, but both of those happened accidentally. I didn't know them through school. You know, it was sure. just later I met them and then it turned out they went to Northwestern. So it's yeah. kind of an accidental thing. But she, that, that project, I, right after the driving one, I wanted to start it. I had already secured Leonard Malton and uh, to be in the film. And I, I had started it, you know, I had my list, I had everything designed and ready to go. And I had secured some of the key interviews, but then Leonard was moving out of a house he'd lived in for 40, 30 years or whatever. And all these things kind of happened that pushed it. And then it went on my back burner. And that's what happens with a lot of projects. Like I was just explaining, like they get some momentum, things are happening. And then somehow something else comes up that's hotter at the moment. And that goes on your back burner. When I met Rachel Pond, she had graduated and was interested in doing documentaries and, you know, just wanted to get her hands into something. And I said, oh, I have this project on my back burner. And when she got on board, she just, you know, because I'd done all the prep, she started contacting people and lining up the interviews. And I wanted to shoot every interview inside a movie palace so that we had, you know, the beautiful backdrop of the world. And a lot of the ones we went, went into are not open normally or at all. And so securing the logistics of getting inside some of these places um, that a lot of people had never even been inside or, or not for years um, yeah. was, was a challenge. And we were shooting in different states. And so, um, but she jumped in, started getting all that stuff, making those calls, getting all that stuff organized so that then all I had to do was show up in, you know, J Jersey city or <laughs> Chicago or wherever and, and, uh, and run through everything. And so again, you know, just sometimes, uh, the partnerships are the thing or having somebody to take the next step and mm -hmm. then you're working together and then that gives it momentum. So yeah, th those producer relationships, and, and sometimes it's an actor. Um, sometimes it's just an actor who has the passion, has the talent, who loves the material that you've written or, or whatever it is, and, and will help get it to the next step because they'll start producing, they'll start reaching out to people they know. I think that's how most of these things happen is you just start to get, you know, you're passionate about it, then you get someone else who's passionate about it, and then you, you push it forward together. Where, April, have you found, um, people that you've connected with. And what I mean is I met you through, uh, I know we've said it before, but like the Northwestern alumni group, which you were very active in, especially at that time. And that's how we met, which was wonderful. But I guess what I mean is you partner with people. And, and one of the things that we talk about here is, you know, finding community, finding people you want to work with. I think it's, that's a big, big push that I have. It, it, you know, helps obviously with energy and just creating projects. How do you go about, you know, cultivate, I, I don't, you can use the word networking, but I just mean that type of thing. How do you how do you kind of approach that? How do you find well, good people? I, I came to the conclusion early on that that's the key to the whole business because mm. when I was first switching into this career, I would, there was lots of opportunity, especially then to go see people who were the people that you admired in the industry, who were, you know, had become big writers or big directors or big producers. 
And, um, and being in LA, a lot of times they were very accessible. You could go to um, the Arclight Theater then. Um, when the Arclight first opened in particular, they had so many things where you could just go with, you know, a huge person, James Cameron, whoever, or whoever, and they would just be right there, right? Accessible. You could talk to them. Not that many people knew about the Arclight yet. <laughs> um, you know, I, there were just, I, I go to those things, especially for people whose work I'm interested in. And what I started realizing, every single person said, well, you can't do it the way I did it. You can't follow this. This thing accidentally happened, this and that. And everybody has a different path, which is true. But then I started realizing, oh, all these kind of famous people knew this other person. They knew this other person. There were always like more than one of them that sort of came up together and helped each other together. So each person you were talking to were like, oh, you know, I knew I wanted to work with, you know, like I went to a very intimate thing with Bob Gale. And he started talking about how, you know, well, he knew Robert Zemeckis and they knew, um, you know, whatever, Brian De Palma. Mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and you start realizing, oh, wow. Okay. So you go way back and all these people helped each other's careers. So I finally determined that is the common path. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is that nobody does it alone yeah. and that everybody does find their other collaborators. And then at some point in their career, they work together, they give each other notes and, um, and, and so going back to what you said before about reading people's things and giving notes is probably because not only do I want to help other filmmakers, but you're always looking for your collaborators and, and your people that you're going to click with in that way, whether it's when I go to Sundance, you know, you're looking for those people that you have common, common interests in or common work ethic with or whatever it might be. And, and so that I think that is the key to this entire industry is finding those people and then building your career with those people and giving each other's op opportunities as those things come along. Um, I, I, I really do think that is the key most important thing more than talent, more than, you know, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. it, it really is the key to, to be able to work with other people and to find those people and, and to help each other all the way along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times, April, people what they're doing on, let's say at this level with the people they're doing with, they're going to be doing that on other levels. It doesn't, up, change. Up the exactly. it doesn't change. Right. And so I think, you know, <laughs> finding those people, you know, I mean, um, uh, Corbin knows is like, you know, to work on great projects with great people, no matter the level. And I think that level can change, you know, but, but finding those people is wonderful. You, you touched on Sundance and I just wanted to, um, do you think actors, writers, directors should at some point go to Sundance at least once April, whether they have a film in 100%, there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had, yeah. I had a producer friend once who said he didn't want to go to Sundance until he had a film in Sundance. And I said, that's like saying you don't want to go to the convention for your industry until you're the keynote speaker. Like, no, you go to, good, good. <laughs> it, 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 it's a convention for our industry. If you look at it in that way, like any yes. other business convention where you go to see the newest and the latest things in your industry and what are people talking about and to meet the people that you will be collaborating with or to meet the people who are doing those things and to be current in your, in your field. I mean, I, 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 many film festivals have that function, but I think Sundance, because it specifically is a discovery festival and it has um, had so much, uh, um, you know, um, input on, on, on especially independent film, but also people who start there and start an independent film become the big people in a few years. Mm -hmm. So being in tune with what is happening there, seeing those films, seeing what you think, and also just the opportunity to 
meet other people. There's so much mingling. Um, you know, it's a pretty contained environment. Another, uh, you know, something you take shuttles around to places and, and uh, to different screening venues and things. And somebody once said, you know, when you go to Sundance, you can find yourself sitting next to the person who would never take your call in LA, but here they are and you're having a mm -hmm. conversation with them because the barriers are down because you're all in this environment, you're all in this contained space, it's cold, you know, it's just, uh, it, it's a perfect way to just meet and mingle with all levels of people. And it inspires you. For me, you know, every January when I've, you know, I've been involved with the film festival, like I said, for 16 years. And, um, and so all those years going, it's always like a reset. It's always like a thing that re-inspires you about the industry because you, you just sort of reset, you see some films, whether you like them or don't like them, you meet people and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go make stuff. I'm, I'm all fired up again. So it's, it's, it definitely does that for me. Yeah, I, I, uh, Corbin, I don't know if you know this, but I actually met up with April when we were in uh, Sundance uh, one year. Oh, together. I didn't know yeah, that. it was nice. fun. Yeah, uh, um, there was a small group of us, uh, and that that was the very first time. I won't. I've only been twice, but I, I loved both times. Yeah, weren't you saying you were with CNN or something to get into parties? <laughs> wow, like that? right in front of the bus. I did get into one party <laughs> saying I was with CNN. That is true. <laughs> I was very that young. Sound back like John. Then. I was very young. That was that was a long time ago. Uh, I've matured since then, April. Um, right, now you say NBC. <laughs> I thought that was so creative. But it was. You got a, got a name that worked too. I forget what it was, but yeah. I did have a name. That's right. That was a very fun year. And what I was, you can do it. You can play true. that role. I, I pulled it up. I pulled it up. I was like, I'm Anderson Cooper's younger brother. Um, but yeah, I can't remember the name. Uh, that is really funny. But what I was also thinking about is that very first year I went, uh, April, I didn't see, and I, I should have, I didn't see any films. But the, one of the reasons I didn't is there was so much happening. There was a lot going on. There was, you know, and, and it was a great chance to meet people. And, and like you said, and I, I think it's a wonderful experience. And it's, it's nice to get out of, if you've been in, I think changing your environment can be such a wonderful thing. This is just for everybody. Like, you know, if you're in the same apartment day after day after day or just going to work in your apartment, to which me- Which we all have been. Which we all have been, we've all done. And that's especially, yeah. But but changing your environment and going like, you know, going going to Sundance or going to a festival or, you know, just changing. I, I think that's so good for your own energy, but also just for kind of- um, what is it rubbing you know rubbing up against new people mm -hmm. right which which can maybe that's where you're going to make a connection maybe that's where you're going to meet someone that you know you be you guys are going to uh, become fans of each other right and so i think that's great and i think you know sundance is, is one place there's a many there's other places whether it's south by southwest or other things but i think getting a little bit outside your comfort zone too and trying to make an effort in that space mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. april with what you're talking about is a really you know wonderful thing for people to try you know totally and there's yeah. and there's different groups you can get involved with like film independent um for for women um women in film and the alliance yeah. of women directors and and the documentary association and because they have events and screenings and things you know it has been rough during covid with all these things going virtually yeah but um but but yeah i do i do feel like going to those things and meeting your peers and finding people whose work you like and potential future collaborators. I think that is super important. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's, uh, you're like taking a risk by going out there, you know, like, it, and it's good to be taking risks and going to these places because it's so easy to be in your home. It's so nice and cozy. It has all my things. But if you kind of go out and you're trying to push yourself, I think that's a very important thing to do in life. And I think with, especially in the entertainment industry where you're putting yourself out there all the time anyways, might as well take the risk. 
daily. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what we were talking about before, the fact that these projects take a long time. I mean, people say this all the time, but you want to find people that you want to work with and who you can work with through the ups and the downs and the, and the problems and enjoy the process of working with them, regardless of what the outcome is. And I think a lot of people who are professionals in this industry, that, that they do realize that and they do focus on that. And a lot of decision making is based on that, that, that you're not just hiring the person based on their skill set. You're because you don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's art, you know, and so you, you, you pick and choose things that you think are going to be the best choices, but ultimately you just want somebody who you want to work with, who you think can handle, you know, whatever the job is, whether it's an actor's role or composing or whatever it might be, you're just trying to pick collaborators that you know are going to be good to work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of want to switch over to our segment, Brag Time. Brag Time, April. Brag time. This so, is your mm-hmm. chance. Go ahead, Corbin. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, this is your chance to kind of talk about you and brag about something that you did. Uh, you, you're such an amazing, caring person, so I think this is going to be a great segment for you. Uh, but basically, you get to talk about something that you've done, that, because we oftentimes don't get to brag about ourselves when we're, we're out in the world. Um, so take a risk, talk about you, and say what you're most excited about recently. Most excited about recently. Well, it could be any time. Yeah. <laughs> um, geez, I don't know. I've, I, I, like everybody else, I've been in pandemic lockdown aside from the trip I already told you about driving across country and back. Um, I, I can say now that I've driven across country and back twice for the first documentary and once for this latest one, I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I've, I've, seen, <laughs> I've seen the country. <laughs> I'm going to fly to cities. I might still drive in the area once I fly somewhere, but that whole long trip um, driving across country and back for five or six weeks, um, I will I, I, I will not be doing that again. Um, I think I'm excited about, well, I, I guess right now I'm just very excited about, I, I, everything's been so shut down and moving very slowly, but I can start to feel optimism and, and, and things opening up again. And I'm just really looking forward to next year. I feel like there's some momentum in a lot of the projects I've been working on with people. And, and there's so many great people I'm collaborating with right now, developing material, developing series or working on feature films and, and documentary projects. I'm just, I, I, all I can say is I'm very, very excited for the future and hoping that we can get some of these projects to move forward and to come to fruition and, and um, just looking forward to doing a lot of work. You know, everything's been slowed down and I have been isolated and I have been writing and I have been editing lately. And, you know, um, that's all part of it, but I look forward to getting some new stuff off the ground soon. I know well, that's not anything no, to brag about. I don't know. No, no that's huge. I don't know how to answer that. No, that's, right that's, that's, that's great. <laughs> and we, we, can, we can brag for you. Uh, one of the other films I wanted to talk about that documentary you made is, is Stunt Women. Um, and, and April, I'm curious, um, uh, if you want to just give us just kind of let people know a little bit what that is and but my more my question is some of the like positives and challenges that women in stunts have have faced you know so um yeah can you do you want to talk a little oh, bit yeah, about that film yeah and, it, and it's just releasing in australia right now i just got a nice review from mm-hmm. the sydney herald yesterday um Great. so stunt women um stunt women the untold hollywood story it's a, it's uh i got hired to direct that one it was based on a book um of the same name the, the book um, went up to around 2007, so it was a great starting point and really got into the history of the business, and then I had to bring it into the present and, um, and bring some of the best stunt women that are out there working today 
um, into the film. And it was a really cool project because it is about women who have worked in a really have heavily male dominated aspect of the film industry, but really that's the whole film industry. <laughs> and so even though I was looking at, you know, stunt women, their story was really our story, the bigger story of, um, of the, the struggle that, that has happened to persevere. And I, I got, um, you know, in the, in the book, there were a lot of people who um, were doing it and um, pushing things forward, especially in the 60s and the 70s, like J.D. De David, who doubled Pam Greer a lot, mm. um, Jeannie Epper, who came out of, out of a big stunt family, um, who most famously doubled Linda Carter's Wonder Woman, mm. and Julianne Johnson, who was one of the first women stunt coordinators on Charlie's Angels. Um, you know, they're three of the pioneers in the industry who are still alive and around. And, and, uh, and so I wanted to bring the book to life. And so I got younger stunt women uh, talking to these women who came before them and paved the way and telling them some of the stories. And, um, and people really seem to like that aspect in the film of putting generationally together so they could see what's the same, what's different, and, and how do they go forward. And I got, you know, just every woman in the film is so inspiring. Michelle Rodriguez um, came on as an executive producer and I got to put, um, I, I got her to visit her main stunt driver, Debbie Evans, who's, who has started driving with her in the very first Fast and the Furious when it was a smaller mm -hmm. film mm -hmm. and, um, and they didn't know how big it would be. And, um, and it, and that was the only film where they worked side by side where Michelle got out of the car and Debbie got in or whatever. It got so big after that <laughs> that they work in separate units, often in separate countries now. Even wow! So they would never see each other. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so we, I put them together in a car, and um, and Debbie's son is also a stunt driver, and they both um, drove in some of the recent Fast and the Furious movies, like the one where they were on the ice. They both were driving there, and so we actually shot a drift car racing sequence. Um, with Debbie and Michelle in one car and her son in the other car. And I love that, especially as somebody who's also directs narrative films and, you know, I'm very interested in genre and that kind of thing. So to have the opportunity in a documentary to direct an action sequence with drift car racing was just really fun and really cool. It was, that was probably one of my favorite shoot days on that film, but every single woman in it, all the stunt women, even the ones who, you know, who I've met, who didn't get into the film, but who I've gotten to know throughout the process. And since then, they're just very inspiring. Um, you know, they're, they're just very talented, very inspiring. They're professionals, they're athletes. And, uh, you know, I just want to be like them. And if you watch the film, you'll be, you know, inspired and amazed to just kind of seeing who who's on film all the time that you're seeing and you don't realize that you are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and, 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 I mean, because a lot of times also like back in the day, wouldn't men throw on a wig and then they would they would be the stunt, you know, person, you know, they instead sure of sure would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they sure would. Yep. <laughs> so April, I'm curious your thoughts or opinions on how have you seen in your time in entertainment more female directors, more female opportunities, more like have, have you kind of seen that? evolving whether slow or quickly or, or yeah know, i think only 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 pretty recently um okay. yeah i i i struggled and and then i realized other women i knew struggled and it it just seemed like it shouldn't be this hard mm -hmm. and um and then 
we, there started being more data. Um, I, I actually worked for women in film for a little while and they partner with the Sundance Institute to actually commission studies to look at um, men's and women's careers. And they noticed coming out of Sundance, you know, they might be on a, a level playing field, like almost an equal number of men and women directors. But then after Sundance, the guys would get repped, the women would not, the guys would get their second movie, the women would not, the guys might move to a studio feature right after that, the women would not, it would take the women, you know, years to get their next film. So you started realizing um, once there was data that it wasn't just a few women complaining, but statistically, the numbers, um, especially in feature film world had not changed since the 70s that the percentage of women wow. directing was was sort of sticking around 4% for decades and decades. So Did you say 4? Huh? 4? 4% for feature Whoa. films, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's, that's, and so wow. so yeah, you started realizing that and then even when I started joining uh, female directing groups, they'd be like how many of you in you know and these were women who had already directed feature films, you know, like myself had done stuff um, and how many of you are, have representation and like two people in the room would raise their hand. And so you started to realize and, and the industry started to realize that it's not that there's not talented or talented women or people doing things, people of color as well, but the system um, was working in such a way that it could bring in young men um, but it was not bringing in anybody else in, mm -hmm. in the appropriate numbers. And so I have seen just, first of all, people understanding that this is factual and not just people complaining right. or not <laughs> rumors yes. or whatever, yeah. and having yes. some, some data to yeah. really understand it. And, that, and that's taken a big effort um, to get people at least working from the same facts that there is a problem. Mm -hmm. But now I think in the, in, in, you know, the last five years or whatever, people recognize that's a problem and then people are taking steps to change. And I've seen it change. The numbers have changed quite a bit in television and a lot of women I know um, who have gotten opportunities to direct in television are directing in television all the time, have big careers now. Um, once they have the opportunity, they do a great job and then they keep going. Um, so it's just a matter of opening those doors and getting that opportunity and the numbers are trying to be, you know, they are getting better. They're inching up in, in feature film world. Um, and so it's getting better. Um, but people are concerned with the pandemic. Are we going to slow down when people start, you know, coming back more strongly? Are, are the women who only had their first or second opportunities or people of color who, whose resumes are not as big, will they be bumped back down again? Um, so it really does take a concerted effort for decision makers to recognize that, that these numbers are, are off balance and that things need to be changed. And that sometimes it is taking a, a risk on somebody with lesser experience, but it's the same thing in the stunt world. You know, when you mm. give people an experience early, um, you know, they're gaining those skills and they're gaining those better resumes. And you have to start doing that the whole way along. Otherwise you get to the end and, and you're like, well, you know, I trust this guy. He's got, look at all his credits. Well, yeah, cause he had all the opportunities. Yeah. Um, so, you know, people now are aware of that and I am seeing different choices being made a lot. So I'm very optimistic that will be changing. Although the numbers are still way off from where they should be. Mm -hmm. for women and people of color, but, um, but I do see people are aware of that and working to change it now. Yeah. I think that's, that's the, the, the last couple of times I've been on set as an actor, 
the the directors were very diverse, which I thought was really really great. You know what I mean? And that was a kind of an encouraging uh, encouraging sign. And and that that's obviously a tiny sample size, but I love what you're saying about having the the data to kind of show here's what's happening. Can we look at these numbers? And can yeah. we you know can we make decisions to fix it? Make some different make, choices. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even if they feel like a risky choice at first, they they really aren't, and you end up getting a better product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and create almost like you said a little bit earlier, it's like sometimes getting those opportunities is the toughest part, you know? So it's like the, the work is obviously hard, but it's like just getting that opportunity. And if you're not getting that opportunity, how, you know, how are you going to have uh, something to shine, you know? So you, I think that's a, that's a really great. And I, I think, you know, April, I would just say you have been a, a, a leader in that, in that world of pushing, you know, for stuff like Absolutely. that, pushing for women, you know, I mean, like, and, and I thought of, I thought of you, I thought you'd be a great guest. Also, I was thinking about kind of your leading mentorship, helping other mentality. Um, and I just was kind of thinking, you know, a long time ago, Corbin, I wrote a, a script about a triathlete and April like gave me notes. And like, I've gone back on that script. I was like, that was not a good script. And April was like, awesome. She was like, she read it. She gave me notes. I mean, and, and what, what um, part of you, not that it's satisfied, but what part feels this like urge or need to kind of mentor, help lead, you know, to positive change? <laughs> what do you think? I think it, it, I think it can only go back to what we said earlier, just about that Midwestern upbringing and um, and how you treat people and being respectful and being open and um, and yeah, wanting wanting to treat people right and and help people to achieve what they're trying to achieve. I, I think it's just growing up in that in that roller rink, just you know, <laughs> just yeah, following my grandfather and my family that just had this work ethic and this integrity about how they approached everything. Um, you yeah. know, that that's just how I am. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Corbin, should we get to uh, best bad acting? Oh, I think it's the time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Corbin. Um, so best bad acting, we, uh, we will be sending you a quote in in the um, in the chat here. And it's, I'm actually really excited because you mentioned Wonder Woman. This is, I believe, from 2014's Wonder Woman. So it's, yes. it's meant to be just fun. You're supposed to just kind of like just read it how you think it would be read. Uh, we may give you a redirect. We may not. Um, we just kind of want to have a little fun. Just do your best version of whatever your best bad acting may be. <laughs> so you can go over I the top. I need my glasses. To <laughs> okay, grab your glasses. Go for it, yeah. You can go over the top, April. You can put an accent on. You can just read it. But the more fun you have with it, the the more fun it uh, it, it usually is. So there's-, there's, there's Okay, no, let's see. <laughs> it's not performance-based. It's more fun-based. Yes. Okay. Only love can save this world. So I stay. I fight and I give. This is my mission now, forever. Ooh, good, good, good. That's a good okay, quote. I've got one. April, can you do it as a stereotypical politician? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, this is terrible. I'm gonna embarrass myself. <laughs> Only love can save this world, so I stay. I fight and I give. This is my mission now forever. That's oh, awesome. I the hands. It's a hand gestures. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It immediately was there. It's, it's, it's the Bill Clinton. But politicians <laughs> don't yes, use them. They, they, exactly. It's not pointing. That was great. That is politicians. Oh, God, that was great. Uh, I, I, I want to. Power gestures. Power <laughs> gestures. Yeah, power gestures. So good. I want to. Um, 
This is a weird one. I want to imagine like you're in Sundance. You're outside. It's cold. It's chilly out there. I just want to hear this like very scared because it's so cold out. I'm scared and I'm chilly. because <laughs> well, it's so cold. I don't know. I've never been. <laughs> uh, only, only love can save this world. So I stay, I fight, and I give. This is my mission now forever. <laughs> So yeah, I love it. I definitely saw Sundance. I don't know if I saw the cold, but I saw Sundance. Yeah, that's all Sundance. I, saw... I was there. I was there. <laughs> no, I saw it. Okay, well, that was amazing, April. Thank and you. I'm not that. an actor, so you know. No, thank you. That was perfect. <laughs> that was so good. That was so great. Well, uh, April, I just want to say from Corbin and myself, thank you so much. You've been a, a, a wonderful guest. This has been just great to talk about documentaries, your career, mm -hmm. the things you're doing, and you know, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, and joining us today. So. Uh, thank you so much and, and really enjoy the, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. <laughs> it's great to meet you. Well, Corbin, what a great episode with April Wright. So she fun. is very talented. Mm -hmm. uh, I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite takeaways was this idea of the accidental producer, which to me, yeah. I translate also to sometimes you, you got to do stuff you don't really want to do to get a project done. I think that's so mm -hmm. important to keep in mind. You know what I mean? The, the work side, what we do, there's a, there's a lot of fun, but there's also work, you know, mm -hmm. you got to be willing to, to do that. And you kind of just have to jump and do it like at the end of the day. Cause then you're, you don't know what you're not going to want to do. <laughs> like sometimes you just become a producer and you just kind of start yes. doing stuff like that. And I think that kind of ties in with what my takeaway was, which is momentum. Uh, she, I think she was talking about, about um, the good and bad of momentum, like these things that are awesome. You're talking about your project and it's exciting, exciting, but then sometimes things fall through and that's okay. You just kind of put it on the back burner. It's still there. You've done the work. You're still excited about it, but kind of finding the next momentum, the next project and just keep going. Because, like you said, she's such a hard worker. She's so uh, so strong. Like everything she does is so great. Um, I was... And a lot of that momentum came from her. Yes. And then outside sources would help, mm -hmm. you know. But a lot of it she had to initiate. I thought so. I think mm -hmm. I think momentum is a great great thing to, uh, to to keep in mind, and you know how you can cultivate that and work towards. People that. get excited about when other people get excited. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> So, Corbin, I want to chat about uh, your one fun thing for the week. Ooh, my What's one, one fun, fun thing. thing? Yeah. I went to this um, this mezcal bar. It's in it's like soft opening in Atwater in uh, in um, L.A. And yeah. I, I um, one, I learned a couple things. Uh, I don't really usually like smoky flavored drinks. Um, okay. But I learned that I guess tequila is like a subcategory of the umbrella mezcal. So I guess I like sweeter like mezcals i guess yeah. it's kind of yep. like the idea but it was cool yeah. to get like a flight and try different ones and kind of go down the row uh what was really interesting uh so they give you like an orange wedge which was nice and it's like a little citrusy it wasn't like a lime like where you try to shoot a tequila shot but there was uh this stuff called worm salt which is literally ground up worm with a little salt that they that they get yeah it was crazy it was actually really good and i am not one to usually try stuff like that <laughs> so <laughs> it was like you you dip the orange into the worm salt after you take a little swip uh sip and then you just like shoot on it a little bit and you're, you're good to go it was that's very amazing rude. it's like pink. That's... it's like a, like a little pink and looks like salt it's, it's rude <laughs> Where I'm from in Wisconsin, we use worms for fishing, Corbin. So out here, I guess they use it for drinking. I Just love it. Eating. That's awesome. <laughs> what about you? Well, cool. Um, so my one fun thing is uh, we um, we recently launched the podcast, and we have a listener in Kenya. Oh, so yeah, I, I want to so give exciting. a shout out to that listener in Kenya. He or she uh, reach out, let us know what you're excited about, who you are. I think that's so cool. 
um, I don't know. I'm just excited that the podcast is growing mm-hmm. um, and that we have somebody in Kenya. That's, that's so cool. I, I, I want us to be a global podcast. But we are. <laughs> yeah, we already did worldwide. it. We already did it. So we can just pack our bags. We're good. <laughs> we, we be done. We be done. So um, anyways, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for our listener in Kenya and uh, you know, enjoy uh, the rest of your day. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Moving Spotlight Podcast. Please rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. And we're on YouTube, so like and subscribe and hit all the bells and do all the things. We would love to see you there. Yeah, put a comment on there. Let us know what you're uh, what you're excited about and what you like. Maybe what your brag time is. Thank you for listening to the Moving Spotlight Podcast.